Well, it's great to see you all this morning. Good morning again. Uh, As always, welcome back to Community Church. We're so glad that you're here. I hope that you've had an amazing week. Um, And I just want to personally thank all of you again for the amazing week that you've given to me. Um, It was truly an amazing week. You have blessed me. I even got a couple of gifts this morning. Uh, But you have sent texts. You have uh, reached out. You have cooked dinners. You have just sent cards and blessed me really way beyond certainly what I deserve. But um, thank you. You made you made it a really special week. I'm grateful for each and every one of you. I'm blessed to serve the Lord alongside you, and I'm grateful to call you friend. Um, But you know, the mission here at Community Church is one that's very, very simple, and we did that intentionally. Our mission here at Community Church says that we're living for Christ and we're loving our community. And I was blessed this past week to be a recipient of that love, no doubt about it. And so I can tell you firsthand that Community Church knows how to love. We know how to love on people. And I'm excited to get into our community this afternoon to gather with all of you. And again, then hopefully tomorrow morning as well as we serve the Lord together by serving other people and serving our community. Show our community the love of Christ that Christ has shown to us. I mean, we have a fantastic opportunity before us as a church to fulfill our mission of living for Christ and loving our community. We have an opportunity to do that this afternoon and again in the morning. And I'm just praying that the Lord will bless Community Church and make an impact uh, for His name as we go out and serve. And so, all right, um, last week we ended our study in verse 17 of Luke chapter 7, where Luke tells us that the report about Christ was spreading all throughout Judea, and it was going beyond there. It was going into the surrounding region as well. And so when we go out into our cities, when we go out into our communities, here's something for us to keep in mind. Yes, we want them to hear about community church. We're going to hand out flyers and cards and balloons because not many people have heard about us yet right we want them to hear about community church but the main thing we want to accomplish is to be sure that the report of jesus is spreading all throughout our community just like it was in judea we want the report or the word of christ to spread all throughout union all throughout franklin county and the surrounding areas as well because our job is to share the good news of jesus christ i mean his story is our story and so the message of community church is very simply the message of Christ. And actually, that word that Luke uses in verse 17 from our study last week when he says report, that's the Greek word logos, okay? And it literally means word. And so the word was beginning to get out about Jesus all throughout Judea and beyond, just like we have the opportunity to get the word out about Christ right here in Union, Missouri. And so, again, one more time, I hope you can join us this afternoon at uh, 3 p.m. to set up and then 4 p.m. for our booth for the 4th of July and then again tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. as we help the city employees pick up trash down at Veterans Park and just love on them and and serve our community in that way. Um, So, but as we're going to see this morning, what folks heard about Christ, they didn't always understand. And so the word was getting out to the people but it wasn't always necessarily getting in to the people. Okay, And even John the Baptist, he needed some clarification here from Jesus. I mean, that great prophet and the great forerunner of our Lord, he needed some help to sort of clear up his own preconceived ideas about Christ and about Christ's ministry. Okay, Because basically, 
the Messiah wasn't behaving in the way that John expected him to. You could say, you know, he wasn't acting very Messiah-like, at least in the eyes of John, right? So Christ was doing the unexpected, and that caused a great deal of confusion. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into our text this morning, verse by verse. We love you, Lord, and thank you for this time around your word. It's always a special time when we gather here corporately and, and partake of communion and, and worship together, but then also sit under the teaching of your word and under the guidance of your spirit. And so that's my prayer this morning, that through the power of your spirit, you would speak to our hearts, that you would convict us, that you would comfort us. You know our needs, Lord, so please meet us in our greatest need this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. We're going to go through the middle part of this chapter and look at verses 18 through 35. So Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 18, reads like this. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Verse 21. And that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions and evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things you have seen and heard that the blind see the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear the dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Verse 24, when the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, a prophet, but more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Verse 29. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? What are they, or they are like, rather, children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Verse 35, But wisdom is justified by all her children. All right. So just as you'll remember from last week, the centurion sent a delegation to plead with the Lord Jesus for his servant. John the Baptist here sent a delegation to clear up his own perplexity about his Savior. I mean, if Jesus were really the Messiah, then he was certainly not what the people or not what even John the Baptist expected, really, at least not in total. I mean, Jesus operated a little bit differently. He operated in a way that was unexpected. Yet even John the Baptist himself 
was not what the people expected. And Jesus, of course, points this out to the multitudes in a bit. And maybe John didn't realize that. I don't know. But we do know that God works in mysterious ways, don't we? That's Isaiah 45, 15. We know that his ways are not our ways. That's Isaiah 55, 8. But yet too often, we want to question his methods. We want to question his ministry, which of course then allows for confusion and even doubt to creep into our minds. And so if you think about it, Christ leaving John in prison was absolutely not what John expected. Okay? I mean, why would he do that? John must have been thinking, why would Christ leave me sitting here in prison? I mean, if he came to conquer Rome, right? If he came to usher in this new kingdom, then I can help him in this fight. And I'm not going to be much good to him if I'm sitting here in prison. It's going to take all of us in order to overthrow these guys. I mean, we can only imagine what must have been going through John's mind as he sat there and endured those long days sitting in the prison cell. But as we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, the prophets didn't always understand everything. Okay, I mean, yes, they may have written the word of God as they received it from God, but they didn't always have a full understanding of it. Okay, and the truth is, history is changing now, right? History is changing. The Messiah is now on the scene. I mean, the miracles all line up, but his methods are not what was expected. Okay, not expected from the one that they had hoped for, at least, who would come and lead the fight for the Jewish people. But honestly, you got to feel a little bit for John here and these Jewish people. You have to feel for him just a little bit because grace is a tough concept to grasp. Think about it, especially when you've been raised or you've lived your whole life under law. Grace would be tough to accept. But as Peter said, in verse 12 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter chapter 1, he said to them, meaning the prophets, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel. So as the forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist is actually the last of the Old Testament prophets. Okay, so keep that in mind, because as he prepared the way of the Lord, he doesn't quite have a full understanding of the Lord's way. All right, but Christ is going to clear up his confusion through, his, through John's disciples. And then actually he's going to compliment John as well to the crowd that was following Christ. So here's what we have in our passage today from Luke chapter 7. Jesus is going to correct and he's going to commend his confused prophet, John the Baptist. That's verses 18 through 30. And then he's going to condemn the people of his generation. That's verses 31 through 35. And he's going to condemn them for their lack of understanding of both who Jesus and John were. Because Christ is beginning to make that very, very clear. So let's take a look at it verse by verse, starting in verse 18. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. All right, so apparently some of John's disciples had heard the report about Jesus that was going around all throughout Judea and all the surrounding region and so on. And they felt the need to let John know what's going on. But we should note here just how well the word of God travels, right? The word of God can travel from the multitudes up on the mountain all the way down to a prophet who's chained up in prison. The word of God has no boundaries, none. But some have thought, you know, these disciples of John, they were probably among the crowds that had been following Christ. Um, and I guess that's possible. 
I don't think it's likely, though. I mean, why would Christ show them the miracles if they had already been witnessing them, right? But John did, in fact, have his own disciples still at this point, even though some of John's disciples had become Christ's disciples by this point. You can read that in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 40. And, of course, the number of Christ's disciples was beginning to outnumber those of John. We picked that up in John chapter 4, verse 1. But looking at verses 19 and 20, Luke writes, And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? So, as I mentioned, John was still sitting in prison, and he was in prison for calling out Herod the Tetrarch, remember, for committing adultery with his brother's wife. That's Luke chapter 3, verse 19. And some scholars believe that about 18 months had passed since that time. So he had possibly in jail here about a year and a half. That's just an educated guess. But, you know, after a year and a half in prison and now hearing about the ministry of Christ, man, John needed some clarity, didn't he? He was doubting something. I asked the question, was he doubting? I'm not so sure about that. Was he doubting or was he confused as to how Christ was going about his ministry I personally think it was confusion, confusion rather, not doubt. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But one commentator said this. He said, John was already in prison and things began to appear incomprehensible to him. He had expected that Christ would speedily destroy the powers of darkness and judge the unrighteous. But instead, he leaves him, his forerunner, helpless in prison. Man, have you ever felt like that? abandoned or betrayed I mean have you ever felt like you just got a raw deal from God I mean you're trying to do everything right you're trying to live right but life just keeps treating you wrong you know what's up with that I mean where is God when I'm seemingly doing everything right the way he wants me to yet life is still upside down and complicated and difficult John had done his job John had done what Christ had asked him to do. He had fulfilled his purpose. He had done it well. He prepared the way of the Lord. In fact, he spoke up for righteousness and he spoke out against the sin of the politically elite. And now he's stuck in prison. But I want you to hear this because John is hoping that his Messiah will start behaving in the way that he expected him to. Right? You see, I don't think John ever really doubted the deity of Christ. I don't. Remember, he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. I don't think he doubted the deity of Christ. I mean, he definitely had some questions as to how Christ was going about his ministry, just like you and I do when things aren't going our way. Where are you, God? Why, God? We ask those questions when things aren't going our way, don't we? But we need to understand that John's confusion came from his own assumptions... And from his own presuppositions about what he expected from the Messiah. Okay? I mean, he had proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's John 1.29. But what does that mean exactly? Remember, John's an Old Testament prophet. All of this is prior to the cross. So how does this fit in with God's plan for Israel? Right? I mean, what's taking so long for the revolution to begin? I mean, I'm not going to be much help to you, Jesus, if I'm stuck in prison. 
John had to be thinking thoughts like that or similar to it while he sat there in prison. He didn't understand the plan of God is actually a plan of faith, not force. Okay? So if God is behaving in a way that you do not like or that you did not expect, good. That's a good thing because it requires us to keep walking by faith. Right? He calls us to believe, not to critique his behavior. Guys, we're never going to know all the answers to our questions this side of heaven. We're not. We're not going to ever know. Paul prayed three times, God, would you take away this thorn in my flesh, only to hear him say, my grace is sufficient for you. That's 2 Corinthians 12.9. You see, God doesn't call us to understand all of his ways, but he does give his children peace that surpasses understanding. Think about that. And that peace will guard our hearts and guard our minds through Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4, 7. He doesn't promise us perfect health. He doesn't promise us a trouble-free life. He does promise grace to those who believe. So we don't need God to give us his itinerary, do we? What we need is for him to give us grace. We need his peace. That's what we need. And so I think that's some lessons that we can learn here from John the Baptist. I mean, we trust in the person of Christ, even though we may not fully understand the plan of Christ. Verse 21. And that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind he gave sight. Now, I want you to notice the love and the patience of Christ here. Okay? Jesus did not answer these guys right away, did he? He let some time pass. He wasn't shocked. He wasn't offended by their question. He just simply showed them grace through his patience and his willingness to provide firsthand proof to them by letting them watch. Guys, watch. See, what, only been, what had only been heard about Christ, now they get to see it. They get to see it with their own eyes, don't they? It's kind of like the old saying goes, some things are better caught than taught. You know, Jesus is saying, pay attention, watch me. So Jesus gave them two means of proof. He gave them their ears and their eyes. And now they can confirm very definitely what they'd been hearing. I mean, they, they've seen it now with their own eyes. It wasn't just a rumor. And so we see this, you know, in the story of Thomas as well, don't we? Thomas wouldn't believe that Christ had risen from the dead unless he'd seen it with his own eyes. He had heard about it, but he hadn't seen it. And so he wanted to see it. And Christ, out of an abundance of grace... He showed himself to Thomas, and of course, Thomas believed after that, and he said, my Lord and my God. That's John 20, verse 28. But you know, our Lord was, was very patient, and he was very gracious during this time of transition. Again, history is changing here. The old covenant has gone, and now the new covenant of grace has come. And so just as Jesus told Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's John 20, verse 29. So here we have John's disciples. They get to see what they heard about. In other words, they are blessed because they have seen and they've heard. However, John the Baptist will have to not see and yet believe. Because by faith, Christ offers the greater blessing. Verse 22. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John, the things that you've seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to him. Man, that is quite a list. 
They got to see a lot that day, didn't they? And I want you to note here the ascending order that Christ gives this list. It's ascending, okay? Preaching the gospel is paramount on this list. But most of these miracles would fulfill a prophecy that we read in Isaiah. And I think John would have most likely been familiar with these. And so this is probably one of the reasons Jesus shows them these miracles so that they can tell John and he would remember from Scripture that, oh, the blind will see. That's Isaiah 35, 5. The lame will walk. That's Isaiah 35, 6. Okay, the deaf will hear. Again, Isaiah 35, verse 5. The dead are raised. Okay, well, that's Isaiah 26, 19. And you're telling me that the poor have the gospel preached to them. That's Isaiah 61.1. So John would be familiar with these passages. This should have provided the clarification that John was looking for, right? By reminding him that the Messiah's power would be on display and his promises would be fulfilled in humble acts of service to those who are in need. In other words, the kingdom of God would be ushered in by compassionate power, not political power. G. Kimball Morgan says, To all such restless impatience, Christ utters the same warning. For the most part, the way of the Lord and His service is the way of plodding perseverance in doing apparently small things. The history of the church shows that, that this is one of the lessons most difficult for us to learn. And that's so true. It's often easier for us to accept Christ the lion than it is Christ the lamb. But I think we should note here, the fullness that we see of Christ's healing ministry. The healing ministry of Christ is physical and it's spiritual. Okay, It touches every part of humanity and it meets our greatest need. Christ conquers physical disabilities, yes, and He conquers spiritual inabilities. So His healing ministry is both. He cleanses the inside as well as the outside, right? He breathes life into the dead man's lungs just like He brings life to the dead man's heart. I mean, not everybody has a physical disability. True, but we need to understand that each and every one of us do have a very severe spiritual inability, Amen. don't we? We're all spiritually blind. We're all spiritually deaf. We're all spiritually lame, lepers, and so on, who need to be given sight. We need to be given hearing and healing and cleansing. We're all poor and we're all helpless in our natural spiritual condition. And Christ's solution to our helpless situation here is that we have the gospel preached to us. Amen. And why is that? Well, Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it, meaning the gospel, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then also for the Greek. Okay? So guys, there's going to come a day, there will come a day, when the Lion of Judah will return to this earth and conquer the world with the strength of his hand. That day's coming. Okay, but he came the first time, as John himself said, as the Lamb of God, right? Who would shed his blood in order to conquer the heart of man. But again, John didn't understand all of what he proclaimed. The method of Christ's ministry was unexpected. And so Jesus adds this interesting little caveat here at the end of his message to John. We see it in verse 23. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Man, what a challenge. I mean, could we not say that this is a rebuke? I think so. I mean, 
Those who were ready to see the Roman Empire conquered by force, man, they could have easily been offended by the love and the compassion of Christ. Because the kindness of Christ can be very confusing, confusing rather, to those people who are just over here ready to swing their sword. We think of Peter, don't we, in the garden. But the word that Luke uses here for this word offended, it's where we get our word scandal. That's interesting. It literally means to put a stumbling block in front of or to impede the way. Okay, so this is almost like a beatitude to John himself, right? Blessed. We see the beatitudes on the Sermon of the Mount. This is like a little beatitude for John. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So Jesus is saying in this beatitude to John, blessed are you, John, if you don't get in the way of what I'm doing. Right? You see, we create a scandal when we think something is not as it should be, but we really have no idea how it should be. So what Christ is telling us by way of this rebuke here to John is to stop setting his ministry and his mission up for failure by our own false expectations of it. Okay, it's Christ's ministry. It's his mission. It's his gospel. It's his word. And so it needs to be his way. And so the scandal is not Christ. The scandal is our own view of him, right? So this beatitude could honestly read like this. Blessed are those who do not impede the way of Christ. Or you could say, blessed are those who do not become a stumbling block to the message or the ministry of Christ. Again, guys, we're not going to understand everything. We're not going to understand all of our answers or all of the questions we have of why, why this Lord, why that? We're not going to be given those answers this side of heaven. Jesus basically just told John, you know what? I am who I am. And you're going to be blessed if you're not offended by that. Pretty stark rebuke. So we must accept Christ for who he is, not for who we want him to be. Jesus is telling John, John, I know you might not understand, okay? And I know that I'm doing things different than you expected. John, I'm not asking you to understand. I'm asking you to believe. I'm asking you to trust me. Following Christ is about faith in Christ. The miracles of Christ simply validate the man of Christ. And the methods of Christ are used for the mission of Christ. Okay, he doesn't owe us an explanation. He's not required to meet our expectations. His grace is, in fact, sufficient for us too, isn't it? I mean, even when our circumstances remain unchanged. Now, did you know that John was actually beheaded in prison? That's Matthew chapter 14, verse 11. So Christ never opened up those prison doors and set him free. Why? But it's, it's because the captives that the Lord Jesus Christ came for were imprisoned by sin, not by a prison cell. Okay, so just like he does for you and me, he proved to John exactly who he was by his word through some eyewitnesses, right? And then he said, John, trust me. And now I love these next verses because Jesus actually switches gears here. And he turns to the crowd and he tells them basically, look, you guys were just as confused about the ministry of John as he and his disciples were about mine. I mean, Christ is always great about keeping our egos in check, isn't he? But maybe John forgot. 
just how unexpected his own ministry was as well. I don't know. Verse 24, when the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? So notice this. Christ waits. He waits until John's disciples depart before he gives John a compliment. I think that's important. He waits until they leave, and then he starts complimenting John. Because, you know, John needed to be challenged in his faith personally. Okay? But he also needed to be complimented on his faith publicly. So Jesus does that. I think Christians would do well to follow Christ's etiquette here. But John was most definitely not a reed shaken by the wind. John was no wimp. You know, that's for sure, neither physically nor spiritually. But here we see the spiritual application of what Jesus is saying. John was not blown around by every wind of doctrine, Ephesians 4.14. He was firm in his proclamation of the Son of God. And in verse 25, now we see the physical application. But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. So John, of course, was not a man of wealth. He was not a man of status. I mean, this guy wore camel hair and ate bugs for crying out loud, right? He lived in the wilderness. He was basically a wild man. I mean, not exactly what you would expect from someone who was going to introduce the Son of God to the world. Verse 26, Jesus said, but what did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. So they were right about the prophetic nature of John's ministry, but it was actually much, much more than that. Verse 27, this is he of whom it's written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So, John's prophetic ministry was very unique in the fact that all of the other prophets before him would say, The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. But John was able to say, There he is. There's the Messiah. The Messiah has come. But I want us to notice something, again, very interesting here about what Jesus just said. It's interesting because he's quoting from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, which says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Did you notice any difference here in what Malachi wrote and how Jesus quoted it? Do you see what Jesus does here? He actually changes the pronouns in the prophecy. Malachi said, John would prepare the way before me, of course, meaning God, right? But Jesus just said, John would prepare your way before you. So in Malachi's prophecy, Jehovah is speaking through Malachi about his messenger. He says, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. But in Christ's quotation of this very same prophecy, Jehovah is speaking to Jesus about his messenger. He said, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. That's very, very interesting. So this is Jesus' not-so-subtle way of telling them, I am God. Jehovah and I are one. John was the messenger that I sent to testify about me. It's fascinating. Fascinating. Verse 28. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Man, what a compliment from Christ here. 
So I hope we can see that our lack of understanding or our confusion for that matter about certain things that pertain to Christ or his ministry should never ever dissuade us from fulfilling our purpose in Christ. We all get confused from time to time. We don't understand everything fully, just like John. But never let that dissuade you from your purpose in Christ. John may have had some wrong expectations about the Lord, about his method of ministry or whatever, but he definitely served his purpose for Christ completely. So we need to understand that John was not necessarily the greater man than these other prophets, than say Elijah or Isaiah, Jeremiah, or any of the other prophets. That's not what Jesus is saying here, but he was a greater prophet because of his prophetic ministry. Okay, again, it was it was one that didn't just say Jesus is coming. It wasn't one of proclamation. It was one of introduction. Here is Jesus. I am pointing him to you. There he is. Christ isn't coming. He's right here. Okay, so John was first in position, not in person. Okay, because as Jesus said, the least in the kingdom of God is still greater than he. Amen to that. So please hear this. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can be the biggest nobody on earth and still be a somebody in the kingdom of God. Do you know that? Verse 29. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John. So here we see the impact of what Jesus is teaching. Okay, And some, some scholars believe that it's actually Jesus who is still speaking. If you have a red letter Bible, your letters may have changed back to black. Okay, but it's still very possible, most scholars believe, that Jesus is still speaking here. And we base that on Matthew chapter 21, verse 32. Okay, and we also base that on the fact uh, that the word him here is, wasn't necessarily capitalized. In fact, it wasn't even in the original text. It should be in italics in your version of the Bible. If the word him is in italics, that means it was added later. It wasn't in the original text. Okay, so they added that capital H on their own. So it might honestly be Jesus still speaking here. But either way, even the tax collectors justified God. Okay, meaning they did what was right. They did what was just in God's eyes. And John had told them to repent. And he did that back in Luke chapter 3, verse 2. And these tax collectors did that. John had pointed them to the one who would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's Luke 3.16. And he was now the one who was standing right before them, teaching them. So John's ministry did prepare them to receive the words of Christ, and it did it very well. Verse 30, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him, meaning by John. So... The tax collectors were, but the Pharisees were not. So Jesus, or rather, not Jesus, but these religious leaders actually rejected the message of John, and they also rejected the message of Christ. So, in other words, if you reject the message of Christ, then you're going to be rejecting Christ himself. Um, but I want to point something out here really quickly in regard to how Luke writes, they rejected the will of God. I think that we need to point something out here. Uh, the word says it was not God's will for them to do that. Okay, so the tax collectors obviously received the word and they were baptized. These guys did not, and it was not God's will that they did that. Now, that might seem obvious to us. That might seem normal, right, for you and me. I mean, some people reject Christ and some people receive Christ. That's just the way it goes, right? But unfortunately, it's become very popular 
today, at least in some Christian circles, to say that God's will cannot be thwarted. Okay, that's the phrase that they use usually. And honestly, I get it. Okay, I hear what you're saying. If you're somebody who says that you're just trying to uphold the sovereignty of God among human affairs. I understand that. But in cases like this here, where we clearly see that God's will was in fact rejected, it seems pretty unbiblical to me, right, to say that God's will is always done or that it cannot be thwarted, so to speak, okay? So I think the reality of God's sovereignty should be more clearly understood and clearly explained. For example, the definition of sovereignty is this. This is how we would define sovereignty. This is Merriam-Webster Dictionary's uh, definition. Sovereignty, a supreme power, freedom from external control, or autonomous. Very good definition, right? So when we think of God as sovereign now from a biblical perspective, and He is, of course, sovereign, but we need to understand sovereignty to mean that He is in control of all things, not that He is controlling all things. Big difference. Okay, Psalm 115 verse 16 says, The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth He has given to the children of men. So, if this idea that God's will cannot be thwarted were actually true, then that would necessarily mean that God's will could not be rejected. It could only be fulfilled, thereby making this rejection of Jesus by the Pharisees God's will. And I'm here to tell you this morning, my friend, it is not God's will that any should perish, that any would reject him. That's 2 Peter 3, 9. But he has given to each one of us the responsibility to either receive or reject Christ. So we got to be careful here that we understand the true meaning of the words that we use. Okay. And now one of these days I might end up dedicating a sermon or two uh, to the sovereignty of God just to help us better understand how he does interact in the affairs of man. But these Pharisees of their own free will rejected God's will. And here's why. Verse 31. And the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? Okay, so now Jesus prepares to give an example of the heart behind somebody's rejection of Christ or the will of God, you could say. Verse 32. They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not weep. Okay, so Jesus illustrates rejection with a story about spoiled little kids. First of all, they're sitting in the marketplace, right? And they're calling out to one another. I mean, why aren't they on the playground? Why aren't they at their house? I think we know why. It's because spoiled little kids love attention, don't they? I mean, kids get upset when they don't get their way. Has anybody ever noticed that? Jesus said, you guys are like that. You're like that. This generation is selfish and it's spoiled. When one wants to play a game, the other one doesn't, the kid gets all upset, right? Just like when God doesn't act the way we want him to, we get upset. So what we see here in this illustration from Jesus is entitlement. The world expects believers to dance to their tune, to be happy with what makes them happy, to be sad for what makes them sad. But Jesus is saying, I dance to a different tune. All right. And my children, we don't grieve like y'all do because we have hope. 
So when it comes to the ways of the world, Christ indeed does the unexpected. You see, in one sense, the message of Christ here was like the happy song, right? The one that was played on the flute that was intended to make people dance. The message of Christ is one of joy for those that receive him as their Lord. And the message of John was more like that song of mourning that we see here. That was intended to make people mourn and to weep over their sin. But the Pharisees and men like them, they were like the entitled little children in this story who didn't dance, they didn't weep. In other words, they rejected the message from both Jesus and John. Verse 33, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. So the accusation against John here was that, well, he just didn't eat or drink the right things. I mean, he must have had a demon because of that, right? John's just too ascetic. I mean, how can this pauper come into town from the wilderness and, and be telling us what we need to do? I mean, this guy's just weird um, coming in here telling us to repent. Doesn't he know who we are? You know? Verse 34, the son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So the accusation against Jesus was very different. He did eat and he did drink. But in their own self-righteous eyes, well, he overindulged, right? So of course, that made him a glutton and a drunk, a wino. Not to mention, in their opinion, he hung out with the wrong crowd. So they tagged him with the title friend of sinners, friend of tax collectors, which, by the way, was not a term of endearment. Okay, that was a big no-no back in those days, right? But isn't it interesting how we will frame Christ and we will frame his message however we need to frame it in order to avoid the truth of it, won't we? We do that. We'll make up an excuse in order to try to avoid coming face to face with the truth of Christ. But Jesus told, told John the Baptist, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. You see, the reality of our situation is this, guys. Sometimes we do need to face our sin and, and we need to weep over that. That's repentance. That's the message of John. Yet at other times we need to face our Savior and we need to dance in the joy of our salvation. That's grace. And that's the message of Jesus. Right? We must either receive or reject both messages. Because essentially, they're two sides of the same coin, aren't they? They're inseparable. But the foolish generation to whom Jesus is speaking here, they rejected both messages and they rejected both messengers. Because neither one of them met their expectations. Think about that. So what are my expectations of Christ? What are they? I mean, do I expect Him to behave in a certain way? based on my own obedience or disobedience, I mean, or based on my own ideas of how I think He should act? What stipulations do I put on God before I'll serve Him? God, if you do this, then I'll do that. Am I willing to serve Him in a way that's uncomfortable for me? Is His grace truly sufficient for me? Guys, listen, what if He never opens up the prison door for you? What if you remain stuck in suffering and sorrow for your whole life? What if that thorn in your flesh never gets pulled out? Right? Will that offend me? Will I still serve him? You see, maybe the unexpected nature of Christ's ministry is a good thing 
Maybe it's a good thing because it calls me to go all in. All in. Right? It calls me to surrender my life completely to him. To die to myself and begin living in the fullness of Jesus Christ, regardless of my situation, regardless of my circumstances, right? Oh man, it would have been much easier if Christ would have just come and taken the world by force the first time he was here. Much easier. But I want you to please hear this this morning. Love is never forced. Love is never forced. Therefore, he laid down his life for you. He laid down his life for me. He unexpectedly overcame every obstacle that was in our way in order to restore a broken relationship with our Heavenly Father. He did that. And then he calls us to simply receive the message and walk by faith. Receive the message of Christ and walk by faith. One more verse and we're done very quickly. Verse 35. But wisdom is justified by all her children. You know, another way that Jesus said this was back in Luke chapter 6, verse 44, when he said, a tree is known by its fruit. But Christ is the wisdom here in this passage. And the changed lives of those who follow him is the evidence that Jesus truly does save. We're the evidence. Christ and his ministry are justified by those who follow him by faith. So the obvious question for me to ask is, how well does my life represent Christ? Do I justify his ministry with my life, with my obedience, by how I walk by faith? I mean, is the wisdom of Christ justified in my life or do I remain a part of this foolish generation? Do I continue to reject the message of Christ? Something for us to think about this week as we go into our week understanding people are going to see Jesus one way or another by how they look at you, by how they look at me, by how we live our life. If we live it by faith, they're going to see Christ accordingly. If we walk in our own understanding and we walk in disobedience and reject the message of Christ, that's how they're going to perceive him too. Wisdom is justified by all our children. So how does my life represent Christ? We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time in your word. We pray, Lord, that you would sink it deep into our hearts. It is a challenge today. So help us to be really introspective. Help us to really look into our hearts and, you know, just see where we stand before you and how, how our walk is perceived to those around us. Are we a good represent, representation of Christ? Um, is wisdom, is Christ truly justified by my life, by the things I do and say? Help us to really take a good self-evaluation of that, to see what kind of representation of Christ we're putting out there to the world. We want to be good examples. We want to be authentically Christian. And of course, that means we're going to blow it from time to time. We're going to mess up. We're not always going to understand. We're not always going to get it right. But the desire needs to be there. We want to be discipled. We want to grow up in our faith. We want to learn. And then we want to turn around and live by faith. 
so that we can begin to stack up those stones of remembrance that we talked about during our time of communion, where we can take our family and we can take our friends and we can take our loved ones there and point to them and say, look what Jesus did. We want to be able to take them back to the cross and say, look how much Christ loves you. Look what he did. Remember that. So help us to live in a way that we will have opportunities, Lord, to take people to the cross, show them what you've done, how you've changed our life. We can tell them about the eternity that awaits every single person that would receive the message of Christ rather than reject it. My prayer, of course, this morning is if anyone has not received Christ as their Savior, that they would turn from their sin right now and turn to Christ by faith. Faith alone. Just believe. That they would believe that you're the Son of God who died on the cross for their sin. Rose again so that they could have hope of eternal life. I pray that they would believe that. That they would surrender to you as Lord of their life. I pray, Lord, that as a believer and and the rest of us who are believers in Christ this morning, that we would take this challenge as well, that we wouldn't be offended by Christ and his ministry, but rather we would embrace it and and surrender our lives completely to it, forsaking all and following Christ by faith, never turning back. Lord, we... uh, are grateful for the challenges that you give us in your word. We're thankful for these stories, for these truths, these accounts, because they do help us. And sometimes it hurts a little bit to hear some of these things, and um, we need to hear it. So, Lord, we want to march out on faith together. I pray for this little church. I pray for this new work, this new beginning that you're doing here in Union, Missouri that you would help us to to do it right, to simply walk by truth, walk by faith, to trust you, to believe, to be authentic, to love one another like crazy, to love you like crazy, to be here for one another, help each other in our walk. Help us all to take that next step of faith in our life, whatever that looks like. I pray that we could do that today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.